0: Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Our, the prophet from our first reading um, is recounting for the people God's fidelity and his promises and that reminding them he is very close to them. And uh, yes, the people, uh, he foretells the return of God's people who are in exile in Babylon. Uh, and uh, all will benefit uh, from the promises in the word of, of God. Our second reading, St. Paul, is referring uh, Hebrews is a, uh, a long chapter about the high priest, Jesus Christ. He's the only high priest. But uh, Paul, there are priests also in Paul's time, as there are priests now in our time, uh, the temple priest. And Paul is putting forward Jesus Christ, and him alone becomes the example power of our excellence, um, about he did everything perfectly. And so Paul will say, now you know, priests, what you need to do. <laughs> and for me, it's like, okay, no, thanks, Paul. <laughs> no pressure on us in the priesthood. Um, but it becomes a great example, not only for priests, but for all of us and, uh, about what we should be doing. And it helps me to look again, what is it that I'm supposed to be doing in the ministerial priesthood? And uh, I can look to, uh, yes, uh, the, the church to tell me, but St. Paul has ideas about that also, My friends, uh, as Mark sets up his gospel, uh, remember last week, um, Jesus is on a journey. Uh, He's journeying to Jerusalem, and um, Mark has this set up uh, and hoping that we would always never just read just one, a couple lines, but take the whole of his gospel together to understand what he's trying. And for Mark, yes, he presents the apostles in uh, sometimes unfavorable light, but he's constantly For him, it's belief in Jesus Christ as the Messiah, the Son of God. So it's belief versus unbelief. And everything that gets in the way or enhances those things. And in Mark's Gospel, earlier, uh, there's an account as Jesus begins that journey of the wealthy young man. Last week, it was uh, uh, the apostles come to him and, uh, and they say, we want you to do whatever we ask of you. You guys pray that way, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Jesus, I want you to do whatever I tell you to do. Thank you in advance. (laughs) Right? Uh, So we can kind of relate to the apostles. Uh, That teaching is one about the wrong kind of ambition. Uh, And Jesus is very, speaks to them. And uh, then we hear this week's gospel. But uh, there is a a compare and contrast happening with the wealthy young man. So I want to go quickly. uh, to recount the the story of the young man on this journey. And uh, the wealthy young man, um, uh, he runs to Jesus. Uh, We're told Jesus is walking, and the young man runs up to him, kneels before him, and says, What must I do to have eternal life? Uh, That alone, that statement alone is amazing, because they, in Jesus' time, the idea of eternal life is kind of uh, murky and different. And so Jesus' response to him is also equally amazing. He says, "Do you know the commandments?" And he doesn't go through all 10 of them. He picks certain ones, and the certain ones that he picks for this young man has to do with other people. If you go and look at the commandments, you'll see the first ones belong to God, the second one's what you do, and then what you're doing. Uh, so he chooses these, and uh, he directs them at them, and the young man says, "I have done this from the beginning." I've kept them since I was a little boy. And we're told Jesus loves him. And Jesus says, one more thing is required of you. I want you to sell everything. Get rid of all your possessions. Give it to the poor. And then follow me. And in that account by Mark, the young man is saddened by that. And he walks away. Here's this image. Now uh, we see uh, blind Bartimaeus. And uh, the similarities in the account between Bartimaeus and the wealthy young man, um, once again, Jesus is on that journey. In both accounts, Jesus stops. um, And uh, uh, he changes his schedule, if you will, that's my words, uh, to consider what these two men are doing. Both of them are asking for something. And uh, Bartimaeus is blind and he cannot run up to Jesus in the way the wealthy young man did. So um, all he can do is use his voice. So he uses his voice and he calls out to Jesus. Jesus, son of David, have pity on me. Pity in this means mercy. Have mercy on me. He's asking this rabbi for mercy. That's all he's asking for. And um, the crowd yells at him, tells him to be quiet, uh, which makes uh, Bartimaeus persist. He only goes louder. And because of this, Jesus hears him and uh, stops and calls him. And Bartimaeus is not just saying anything. He's using particular phrases. Son of David is an important phrase for Hebrews. It references the Messiah, so it's very, very particular. Uh, and of course, Jesus takes note of that. And um, we also should take note about how Bartimaeus comes to know that Jesus is even there. He's blind. He cannot see. Somebody is talking to him. Somebody is telling him. Jesus of Nazareth is around us. And uh, uh, we don't know exactly. I'm curious. I wonder what exactly they were telling Bartimaeus but we will never know. It's not recorded. And I bring this up because Bartimaeus in his heart sees something. Bartimaeus identifies Jesus as the Messiah. He cannot see him. Jesus has a notorious reputation at this point in time uh, for good or bad. If you're a Pharisee scribe, bad, because Jesus, they considered Jesus messing with them and messing with the status quo and uh, Uh, The people, however, saw this rabbi as different, something new uh, with him. And um, Bartimaeus recognizes in Jesus, and this is very important, he recognizes in Jesus the one who manifests God's promise, the one who manifests God's fidelity, the one who manifests God's promise of that new land that the prophet was talking about in the first reading. Bartimaeus recognizes in Jesus the promise of the new covenant, of a new way. Bartimaeus sees Jesus as the Messiah where the others do not. And because of this profession of faith, because Bartimaeus recognizes the trust and confidence in God, what he sees is God working in Jesus. And because of this, Jesus commands him to come to him, tell him to come to me. Bartimaeus' faith is such that in response to Jesus' summon, Bartimaeus, we're told, throws his cloak away. The cloak for Mark, the cloak is the equivalent to Bartimaeus what the wealthy man had, all this land, all this property, all these servants. Bartimaeus throws it away without hesitation. The young wealthy man did not. He could not, for whatever the reason. Unlike the wealthy man who we're told his face falls and he is saddened and perplexed by what Jesus says, especially about leaving all of his possessions and giving to the poor and the destitute, the poor one, Bartimaeus, Willing, gives up all that he has. The cloak for us, oh yeah, it's just some kind of coat. No, that's all he had. That cloak becomes his bed. It becomes what he would put out for people to throw money into. It becomes protection. So everything he's come to learn to trust in the world, he willingly gives up when Jesus calls him. The wealthy young man has also put all of his confidence and trust into the things and we have to understand back in that time, uh, those, were, those were, that young man would have been told those are symbols of God's blessing. And Jesus is now going to turn all of that upside down. <laughs> or you have to just go look at the Beatitudes. And you'll see how he turns everything upside down. Bartimaeus quickly and without hesitation throws it aside in order to be with this rabbi, to be with Jesus Bartimaeus' is jumping up and running to Jesus indicates he seeks now all of his strength, all of his protection, all of his hope, all of his confidence is now in this rabbi, this Jesus of Nazareth. And um, he believes and acts immediately on this belief that Jesus will be what he needs, My friends, as your pastor, I would like to believe that every Christian, every baptized Christian, longs to hear the question that Jesus puts forth to Bartimaeus: "What do you want me to do for you?" I hope we do not ask it uh, in the context that James and John's member they said, "We want you to do whatever we tell you to do." Jesus says, "What is it you want from me? Put us in charge." One suspects with Bartimaeus, he could have asked Jesus for anything and it would have been given him in that moment because of his great faith. And all he asks of this rabbi, that I may see nothing more. Remember the first thing he asked for was mercy. And now that Jesus is in front of him and he cannot even see Jesus' face, You cannot even see that Jesus is looking at him with great compassion and love. What do you want from me? Master, the words change. Master, let me see, please. And immediately upon receiving his sight, Bartimaeus uses this new gift of vision to follow Jesus of Nazareth along the way. And anyone who studies scriptures knows the way is a code word discipleship with Jesus, followers of the way. So Mark is, he already knows this. He's assuming we know it too. So he's playing with the word. Bartimaeus follows him on the way. Faith affects his sight, and the gift of that sight deepens his faith, Long makes him long for Jesus. The wealthy man went away sad, but Bartimaeus is filled with joy and then comes uh, to Jesus. And uh, Bartimaeus' response, Mark wants us to understand, his response is immediate, without hesitation, uh, without regret. He doesn't look back. He looks forward and follows Jesus. He knows exactly what he wants from this rabbi. He's not quite sure what to call him because he first calls him son of David, calls him Jesus, and then he refers to him as master. There is nothing unsure about his faith in this man and in what Jesus is. What is Jesus? Jesus is the manifestation of God's promise and fidelity. And Bartimaeus knows it. And in response to the Lord's goodness, Bartimaeus is full of gratitude. And he does not hesitate to follow Jesus along the way. And my friends, all these conditions and strands that Mark puts together makes up the steps of conversion and of the grammar of discipleship. Bartimaeus does not choose to do whatever he wants once he has this gift. He does not choose to go in his own way. He chooses the way of Christ. And as soon as he gets the opportunity, uh, he does this. And may it continue to be so for us uh, in our church that Uh, We would do the same. My friends, we see Mark, the way he puts it together, he's showing us what conversion would look like desire, persistence, asking, being called, and then responding immediately. And you may say, Oh, yeah, yeah, I got it, Father. (laughs) I got the conversion thing down. Okay. Then discipleship, it's very particular for Jesus. And my friends, uh, uh, before I move, I want to talk about that, but uh, Mark also plays with the images of light and darkness with sight and blindness. And physical sight is vital to us. It's important. For those who do not have physical sight, everything becomes an obstacle to them. Everything can be dangerous to them, a plant in the way. they uh, So um, we know this, but Mark would put forth, but there is other types of blindnesses that are dangerous and require our attention. The first one that I'll put forth to you that we will find in his gospel is moral blindness, which is, unfortunately, a lot these days. Folks with this seem not to be able to know what is right and wrong. They harm others and could care less about that. They lie, they cheat, they scam, and they do not even give this a second thought. They destroy people's properties and their reputations, and they don't lose sleep over it. Loyalty, fidelity, guilt, shame, and regret are foreign to them. My friends, our catechism of our Catholic Church teaches us about the human conscience. You'll find it in there. So I want to talk to you a little bit about that. Human conscience is what gods it, we call God's thumbprint on the heart of every human person. Do I dare say it again? Every human person, including the atheists, <laughs> they just don't know what it is. <laughs> they understand it's human conscience, but they don't understand where it comes from. And for us, every person has this. And this is the remedy to stave off moral blindness. And uh, human conscience is uh, enlightened by sacred scripture and the Holy Spirit, but it is fine-tuned Father, I'm trying to be very practical. It's fine-tuned by experience. And if you want to take a little test, take a look at yourselves and say, where am I on kindness? Where am I on goodness? Where am I on gentleness, faithfulness, fidelity? Where am I with self-control? If all those things seem weird to you, Oh my mercy, your moral compass is broken. There is another one uh, that is equally dangerous that we will find at Mark uh, talk about: the blindness of unbelief. The remedy to spiritual blindness is faith. Faith gives us the vision to see beyond our human senses. And uh, beyond the world around us to its deeper truth that this world comes from God. And even more importantly, and this is not Mark, the gospel writer, but your pastor, that it is the place of journey back to God. Isn't that why we're here? Faith allows us to see we are more than just a sack of bones and flesh. We are more than just a string or strand or sequence of DNA. I'm so tired of hearing about that. We have a soul. We have a purpose. We have a destiny. Faith gives us the vision to see the dignity of every human person. Every human person, others and yourself. Because there are many who walk on this earth who feel unworthy of everything. Faith would enlighten them that they have great dignity and value. Look behind me at the price that was paid for your dignity and value. My friends, faith gives us the ability to see this. Physical sight comes through our eyes. Moral sight comes through our informed consciences. Spiritual sight comes through our faith. Be attentive to all of them. Just as we are so attentive to our eyeballs, be attentive to the other two. Those are dangerous things. Now, my friends, as I said, Mark puts forth what we call the grammar of conversion. Once you're converted, once you have that conversion experience, you are to be a disciple. And we have different denominations of Christianity. But there is one thing that is absolutely fundamental to discipleship with Jesus Christ. You will find it in John's Gospel, John 13, 34. A new command I give you. He's talking to you and I. A new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. This commandment supersedes what was in place at his time. In this command, we find not a command to feel. People get that wrong. How can you command me to feel? He's not commanding you to feel. He's commanding you to do something. Love expresses itself. He goes on, A new command I give you, love one another, as I have loved you. So you must love this way. Jesus sets himself as the standard by which we will measure our discipleship to be his followers. Paul did this. He said, here's your high priest. Jesus is saying, look at me, do as I do, do as I say. And he says, do this for the glory of my Father, the humbleness of Jesus. He would go on to say in John's Gospel, By this everyone will know that you are my disciples. I need to repeat that. By this, what is the this? The love command. By this everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Jesus, that sometimes makes things obscure, but at other times makes it crystal clear. And this is one of the times when he is clear, direct, and absolute about the main characteristic of discipleship to be his follower. He commands us of his church. His church must do the same. The implication here is that we are to do unto others what Jesus did for us. I'm twisting it a little bit, but that's the implication. And he always did what was best for you and I. This model is less complicated than the one that was in place when Jesus of Nazareth walked the earth, but it is far more demanding. People will say, okay, what is love then, Father? Tell me what that is. Regarding love, the examples are found throughout all of the New Testament and the Gospels. You just simply have to pick it up and read it, and you will see it. But if you're looking for that clear and direct thing, this is the one time when I can talk about Paul, St. Paul, uh, in his letter to the Corinthians, in particular the first letter to the Corinthians. He is very explicit about what that love is. And it's not the love that I have for cup- for chocolate cupcakes, Right? You know, I love chocolate cupcakes. That's not what you're talking about. You're talking about something completely different and very demanding. And uh, so, my friends, when you are unsure what you are supposed to do, in any situation, big or small, ask yourself this question What does love require? of me to do in this situation? Not just any kind of love, the love that St. Paul will talk about. What does love require of me in this moment? I would greatly appreciate if someone would write that in a letter and send it to Washington, (laughs) D.C. When our, petitions, when our politicians don't know what to do, clearly, they should ask themselves, what does love require of me to do in this situation that is foundational to discipleship with Jesus Christ? You and I will not be able to escape that if we want to say we're disciples of him. Our church must do that also as Bartimaeus says, Master, as our Master does. Marins, our parish is always generous, and we've been able to accomplish together many things. And uh, as we pray about this stewardship renewal, uh, please pray about your role in continuing all the ministries of Jesus Christ here at St. Nicholas in Gig Harbor, Washington. Um, we'll pray about it, and we'll move forward with, uh, with that stewardship. My friends, as we get closer and closer to All Saints and All Souls Day, our tradition uh, are the memorial candles. And the memorial candles, I um, just want to remember they burn for the glory of God, but we write the names of our loved ones on there, and some folks have been writing prayers. And just so you know, what, it, what does Father Mark do? Uh, so when we set up the candles that you've uh, put in memory of your loved ones who have passed, uh, I bless the fire that I'm going to light the candles with, so that then the fire is blessed, not the glass, not the wax, the fire. And that flame burns for six days. And it, whatever you've written, it's like you're praying for that person for continuously for six days. And uh, it reminds us of our baptism, that light that's given to us. It reminds us that Jesus Christ is the light of the world, but even more so as priests, burns to the glory of God, the Father. It tells us, of his promises, and it helps us in a way. They become the candles, symbolic of our memory of our loved ones, uh, who are very much alive, but in heaven. Okay. And if you haven't got yours yet, the the volunteers are outside uh, to help you to get a candle uh, ready for All Souls' Day. Amen.